Take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter number three. Revelation chapter number three. And we're going to continue in our series on the churches of Revelation. We're going to look at the church of Sardis this morning. So Revelation chapter three. And uh, we will start reading in verse number one. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and hath the seven stars, I know thy works, that thou hast the name, that thou livest, and art dead. Be watchful, and strengthen the things which remained, that are ready to die. For I have not found thy perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief. And thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white. For they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I pray, Lord, you help us this morning. Help us to be a church that's alive. And, Lord, desiring to serve you and growing in your grace. Lord, I pray you bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine for a moment. You are crossing a hot, burning desert. You're you're parched. You're almost ready to pass out from the lack of water. And then you see a sign. It says, life-giving water, just ahead. Well, that will give you renewed energy, right? You think, well, I I can make it to that well. Uh, It's just ahead. And you crawl further and you see a building and you see the sign next to the building. This is where the water is. So you go through the entrance of that building. And there before you is that promised well, the well that has the water. And you lower down that bucket and it doesn't quite sound right when it hits the bottom. It almost sounds like a dull thud. But, hey, you're not you're not really with it. Your mind's all messed up. Maybe you're a little delirious. And uh, so you pull that bucket back up. Can't wait to get that water. And you pull that bucket up and it's dry. It's full of dust. Well, that would remove all hope for you, wouldn't it? I mean, if you didn't have any water at all, you would pass away from it. That, that situation would be totally discouraging. It would draw you down. It would be one without hope. Now, Does that sound far-fetched? Well, maybe that will never happen to you in a desert situation. I hope not. But that's the experience that many people are having. Maybe not today gathering in churches, but there's they're going looking to be fed. They want to be fed the word of God. They need that life-giving water. And they enter the nice building and they find all the trappings and rituals. But there's no hope. There's no help. For them, and such was the condition of the church here in Sardis. Now, I want to give you a little background on the city, just to help you, because it does apply to what the Lord says to them. 
So that that city here of Sardis was founded, they think, around 1200 B.C. It was uh, located on a plateau 1,500 feet above the, the valley below as such. <clears throat> so a very easily defended city, only one way to get to that city and that plateau. So as long as that was defended, you were safe. There's there's no way anyway they were inclined 1,500 feet up. Uh, it was famous for industry, uh, carpet, wool, and dyeing of cloth was, uh, primary products there. Uh, it's sad that dyeing was invented in, uh, Sardis. I'm not positive about that, but that's what I read this week. Uh, Sardis reached its peak during the reign of King, uh, Chris, uh, Chris, sorry, Chris. And, uh, it's also under his reign that it fell from its might and uh, the people there uh, was a very wealthy city uh, one of much wealth and so thus invading armies be like oh that'd be a good place to invade plunder and take it was actually fell uh, when the king Cyrus of Persia came upon it uh, the king uh, of Sardis along with all the people fled into the city thought they were safe and they laid siege the, the Persian army did and they noticed a soldier one night before it got dark, as the evening was coming, noticed that one of the soldiers on the wall dropped his helmet and then watched that soldier walk down a hidden staircase to get his helmet. Well, that night, they made advance up that hidden staircase and found all the guards sleeping. Thus, the city was theirs. By John's day, Sardis was just a shell of its former self. Uh, yeah, it had some reputation but it had grown lazy it was immoral it was complacent like who cares that's the idea it was and it was dying it was apathy indifference like whatever uh the city was proud of its past and proud of his reputation but again that's all it had left was reputation for all intents and purposes city of sardis was dead dead while you're living it was still around so to this church in Sardis comes the Lord and he, he confronts the apathy and complacency that was in that church. He comes to them and he says, Hey, there's some issues we need to talk about. So keep in mind as we go through this letter, it's practical. It was written to a real church. This is not a figurative church. This is not symbolic or anything. This was a real church that existed in Sardis. Uh, you know, they kind of classify, they, other scholars and things have classified these churches, these seven churches, at different time periods uh, through church history. And uh, they think in particular of this one around 1500, kind of representing the Pro- uh, Protestant uh, Reformation and going forward. It pictures dead orthodoxy. It pictures the state, unfortunately, of many churches today. Uh, they have all the trappings, but there is no power. There is no hope. There is no help there. And this letter is for you. Whoever you are today, wherever you are today, this letter is for you. This, this, this just to Sardis. It's just not the Legacy Baptist Church. It's for everybody. All right. Everybody. Uh, so we see the Lord comes in verse number one, uh, and he makes a pronouncement. So he's almost like, uh, a doctor here. He's telling them they're dead. He's doing a, an autopsy, I guess you could say. And, and he comes proclaiming who he is and he's worthy to give these pronouncements because he is God. Uh, Jesus refers to his deity as one of the seven spirits of God. 
and one holding the seven stars. Now, the seven spirits of God refer to the Holy Spirit and his perfect, complete ministry. That's what it's referring to. It reminds us that, that as a church that uh, we don't operate under the power of human skill leadership. We should come underneath the power of the awesome power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we need human leadership to help. I, I understand all those things. We need organization. But our power should not be plugged into people. It should be plugged into God. That's where the power comes from. Uh, and thus, it gives him all the glory and honor. At the end of the day, we say, Lord, you did it. We were just willing servants. You did the work. And, uh, you know, that I understand the human spirit is a pretty amazing thing. I, I'm not going to disagree with that for a second. Uh, I've, I've watched a lot of YouTube videos lately of these musicians playing instruments. Amazing abilities. Uh, thousands of delicate, precise movements at the right time. Uh, I've watched orchestras and how everybody works together. It is truly amazing. But let that person or persons suffer an injury that leaves maybe an arm paralyzed or part of the body uh, not working properly and, and the hands and fingers aren't working. Try as that might, the, home, the human spirit cannot overcome that. They don't have the power. So, too, the spirit of God is in control of the church, or he should be. And if you're, if the Lord is not, then we're, the church is headed the wrong way. And, and the seven stars referred to here are the messengers who bring the people the word of God, the pastors, as found back in Revelation chapter one, verse 20. Jesus appears as one who has everything the church needs to succeed. And that's the truth. We need the Lord and he has the, he has the power. His word has all the direction all his churches need. All right, he he has it all. And this is a, a message for the modern church today, uh, right now, current church. I understand we're looking for new methods, things that will help us reach more people. Hey, 30 years ago, what I'm doing right now would not have been possible on Facebook. What was Facebook 30 years ago? I mean, that was not around. Uh, so the reality is, you know, there's all kinds of new things coming out that we can use to utilize the gospel, but the method should never say away with the Lord. We have a better answer. No, the the methods need to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel. That's what people need to hear. And if we don't do it in his power, we're, we're just wasting our time. We're not going to get anything accomplished for eternity's sake. We need to do it through his power, through his ability. He comes to them. He says, I know thy works. Uh, in verse number one, I know thy works. He comes as the one who sees all, knows all. He doesn't commend their works, neither does he condemn their works. He merely states, I know your works. I know what you're doing. He knows everything we're doing, too. He sees all along with the motives that drive us to do what we do. Uh, Psalms 139 verse 2 says, Thou knowest my down-sitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. It's kind of funny this week when I was typing that verse in. Uh, for some reason, my computer program put in, thou knowest my downsizing. Uh, I, I guess it, the computer knew that there's lots of downsizing happening right now. Uh, at any rate, I had a good chuckle at it because we face that right now. The Lord knows what we're facing, folks. Uh, he knows and he understands our thoughts. He knows what we're doing. He sees us in the whole picture. There's nothing that escapes him. He knows your heart and he knows everything that you do and why you do it. That is a sobering thought uh, that we need to make sure that, hey, what we do is 
serving the Lord and it's in the right purpose and going forward. So he says, I know thy works. And he comes to them and, and he says, uh, you might have the appearance of life. I know thy works. Thou has a name that thou livest, yet art dead. Are dead. What? What? Though you have parents of life, Jesus tells them, you got a reputation. Uh, that's what he says, uh, the, that thou has a name, that thou livest. You got a reputation. Maybe it was a busy church. They had a good reputation with the people in the city. They believed the right things. They were probably busy doing good things in the community as well. <clears throat> but things were not as they seemed. The great physician placed his hand on the, on the hand there, his hand upon the hand of that church there and got the pulse. And there wasn't a pulse. Regardless of what the church said, Jesus knows the truth. And he says, you're dead. He tells them that everything, everyone thinks you're alive, but in fact, you're dead. And the church in Sardis was the meaning dead was destitute of force. No power. They were ineffective. They were inoperable. You know, there's just no way they could do it. They were dead. Oh, they were active. They were doing things, but it was not spiritual in nature. There was busyness, but nothing that went from this life to the next, nothing for eternal value. They were operating within the energy of the flesh rather than getting plugged into the God Almighty through the Holy Spirit. And everyone looked at them and spoke of them like, yeah, they have life. Jesus says, hey, I know better. There's no, there's no life. You know, looks are deceiving. Looks are deceiving. Uh, and, uh, just this week, my wife went to the grocery store to get our week's worth of groceries and she picked up some tulips and, uh, they're very nice. Just a little, a little taste of the Kuchenhof in Holland. You need to check that out on, I think that's on Facebook now. You can check it all out. Beautiful place. I'm not even into flowers, but that place is amazing. So she got some tulips, I think, to remind herself of that place, Kuchenhof. And, uh, so she put them on the table. Beautiful. They look lovely. But they're dead. Right? Let's be honest. They're dead. They're not rooted anymore. They've been removed. They've been severed. Uh, and, and they may last for a couple of days. Actually, I looked at them this morning. Eh, they're not looking so good today. Uh, but the reality is, uh, they're passing away. They look alive, but, or they did look alive, but they're dead. And many churches today are in that same stead. They, have the appearance of life. They have might have a beautiful building, might be doing all kinds of busy work. But the great physician is the one who knows if they're alive, and he puts his hand upon their pulse and sees if it's there. Folks, it's a great question for us as Legacy Baptist Church. When God puts his hand upon our pulse, what does he feel? Is it a church that strong and ready, or is it a pulse that's weak and, and and failing, you know, I want to be strong and ready. Uh, but it makes all of us, all of us have to be part of that as a local body of believers. And uh, there's some signs of a dead church as well. A dying church or a dying dead church, uh, it, it rests on its past accomplishments and is satisfied with that. We did that in the past. We're good now. A dying church is more concerned about rituals and formalities than they are about spirituality. We need to, well, we got to do this A, B, and C if we're going to be a church and, and leave out the spiritual side of it. A dying church is more concerned pleasing, about pleasing men than about pleasing God. Those are some signs of dying church. That's not an exhaustive list, but just a few to give you a thought. Uh, but there's some signs of a growing church, a live church. And 
That's really the first one. It's a growing growth that, that shows life. All living things categorized by growth. Uh, you know, our children are growing up. Uh, they, my kids at home this past week, they uncovered a treasure's trove of old photos and stuff and videos. Last night we had a big laugh putting on TV and watching videos that they had done and boy, they have changed. That's characteristic of growth. That's life. Uh, and maybe some of us are experiencing, um, other growth, like out, not up, okay, with all this quarantine time and lots of food on the go. Uh, but the reality is that shows growth and, and life. And for a church, we think immediately people coming, more people coming. And I think that's definitely a sig- significant part. There, there, that is true that a church that's alive is growing. But I think the biggest part is spiritual growth, just not numerical, that the people of that church are growing in the grace of God. They know God's word. They're traveling, exploring the word. That's what they're doing. Emotions are another thing that shows life. Another marker, because I'm alive, I laugh, I cry, I feel pain, I feel joy. For some of us this week, we probably felt all those things with this quarantine. Some days you're laughing, yeah, yeah. Some days you might be in the corner of your house crying, uh, you know, whatever. It's just, it's a wave of emotion, but that shows that we have life. Hey, someone who's Diseased, there's no emotion, right? There's none. That's no show, not one sign of emotion because they have passed. And again, again, the same thing is true for church. A living church is an emotional church. There'll be times of laughing together. There'll be times of weeping together. There'll be times of singing together. They hurt together. We pray together. Uh, you know, that's emotion. And it's, it's part of something that's alive. You know, uh, emotion is another uh, evidence of life. Uh, physical bodies, bodies of motion. <clears throat> uh, one sure sign of death is the absence of motion when there's nothing occurring. Uh, so within a church, there needs to be motion. And again, it needs to be plugged into God, uh, obviously, but it does, it is a signification of life. So the great physician comes and he tells them, hey, we got some problems, but then he gives some remedies in verse number two. He comes to him and says, hey, you're in bad shape, Sardis, but I got good news. Not all is lost. All right? Uh, they're commanded to watch. They're told to be watchful. Now, this church had a really glorious past from what we can understand of the place, the city, and things. They allowed their past success to lull them into a state of complacency, spiritual slumber. And Jesus calls them to wake up. Wake up. Time to, to come to get together. Time to get stuff happening. And he tells them to chase away sleep. And this this call to wake up it helps them realize the victories of yesterday or yesteryear are not sufficient for today. And this statement would have immediately grabbed the attention of the folks at Sardis. As I mentioned earlier, Sardis was located on top of a plateau, a mountain 1,500 feet up, and there was only one way into that city. Now, we do know in ancient history that it was only twice that the city was taken, and both times the city was taken because the guards were asleep. I mean, there's no way an army could take the city because it wasn't the geography was just too good for defense. But because they slept... They were overrun. And we need to make sure for ourselves that we are watchful 
individuals who are watching right now, we need to be watchful of where we are and not just to enjoy the past. Oh, it's good to think about the past, especially remember what God's done. That's a wonderful thing. But we don't live there. We, we live now. And, and if we keep living there, it'll be so much easier for the enemy to defeat us right now. And that happens far too often in churches. A church will get in a kind of a slumbering mode. <clears throat> and, and this scenario I'm going to play out is, is, is true. I've, I've seen it happen and read of it. A church will struggle in its beginning with a core group, and, and it, it'll be hard. It, it won't be an easy situation. They'll work. They'll pray. They witness. They yield. They sacrifice for that church to stay open. And over time, more people come in, and that's exciting. And maybe buildings are built, more, more ministries are brought in line, and it's, it's enjoyable. It's wonderful, and people are excited. Yet in the midst of all these good things, some terrible things can happen. Uh, the church can begin to lose the vision, uh, that it made, that made it so strong in the beginning. And they become, become content to sit back and enjoy the fruits of their labors. And, and while we ought to be thankful for what the Lord has done for us, we'll never reach a place where we can let up. We can say, Oh, we've, we've, we've made it. We're good. We're absolutely wonderful. No, we never reach that place. Uh, we always have to be looking to the Lord. It's, this is no time to look back to the past and say, oh, we did it. We're great in the past. No, our vision ought to be for today and tomorrow. Uh, if the Lord will give it to us. I, I love the statement that we pencil in tomorrow, God puts it in ink. But the idea is that we plan. We look, we want to try to accomplish this for God. We, probably, we want our church to go forward in this way for the Lord. Uh, and we must fight that tendency to become satisfied and complacent uh, that, that's a battle we always have to face and, and uh, these folks here in Sardis were being reminded of that and we need to be reminded of that today they're told to work the Lord gives this church uh, some things that they need to do to be engaged in he says revive revive uh, there in verse number three remember therefore that how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent, uh, and I'll, if therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come unto thee as a thief. Uh, and we need to look to God, uh, the strength of the things which remain. He tells them that not everything about them has died. There's still some things, there's a spark of life there. And you need to stir that up, you know, work that up. It's like the embers in the fire. They're almost up, but they're not yet. You can get that going, put a little bit of paper in there, or whatever, just to kind of get it. Started to go on again. For I found that thy works not, uh, per, I have not found thy works perfect before God. That means their works were incomplete. <clears throat> they had some things in their midst that were good, but their works were needing reviving. It's possible to be busy in things of God and yet do nothing for God. Unless our works are complete, God's not going to get the glory. We need to make sure that we are being complete. We're doing the complete work of God. We need to make sure that we're plugged into the power. Remember, therefore, uh, how thou hast received and heard. These people are canceled to remember where the Lord brought them from and what he's done for them. They're to remember the days when they served the Lord out of a glad heart and wanting to do his will. They're to remember what it was like to walk in the power of God and use, and to be used for his glory. Now memory can 
to be a bad thing. When our memories cause us just to live in the past and remember the past glory. That's not a great way to use a memory. It won't help us do what's right today if we live in the past. It's Memory serves as a great purpose if we remember and say, hey, that's what the Lord did that then. He can do that now. I need to make sure I'm doing it now so I can go forward for Jesus Christ. That's a that's when the memory is serving us the best. Uh, so let's make sure that that's what we're doing. And there's a resolve here to hold fast. Hold fast. This church is told to hold on to things that are still alive in the midst, uh, to, to resolve that they will follow the Lord. You know, sometimes as humans, we can um, swing with the pendulum. So the Lord says, hey, there's some things that are good. Hold fast. So don't get so focused on this that you forget about this, and this ends up being affected. He said, hold fast. Do those things, and you know, do what's right, and continue following me. Repent is mentioned in verse 3. Repent. They're confronted about their sin. I mean, not every sin is laid out here from this church issue, but he says, the Lord tells them, repent. Get things right. Uh, and when things of God uh, are out of place, when we're not doing what we should, we need to repent. And, and that's the recourse for us individuals and as a church to repent, look to God to repent. And the idea of repentance, man, it is really foreign today. Uh, people seem to have their opinion, their thoughts, and whatever they want to do is fine, and you should accept whatever everybody's doing. Listen, God Almighty is not obligated to accept what the things that you do. No, he's God. He's the righteous judge. And he will tell you, sin, or if it's not. If it's sin, you need to conform to his image, what he tells us to do. When an individual is without Christ, the word of God clearly states that they need to trust in Jesus Christ. And that whole idea of trust is to turn repentance there. It's turning from whatever you were trusting in and place your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You turn from it. Uh, and, and as individual believers, if we have sin in our life, we need to repent uh, and get that right with the Lord. And so that the restoration of our fellowship can be there. We were always a child of God. We know Christ is Savior. We accepted Christ as our Savior sometime, and now we are saved. We are part of the family of God. You sin, you do wrong. That doesn't mean you're kicked out of the family. No, that means the fellowship is affected. You're still part of the family. Absolutely. Uh, but you need to get that restored and get back to where you need to be. Uh, and, and so often we've been lulled into this state of some slumber, and maybe that's something that we need to repent of, that we want slumbering. We're, we're not... Uh, whatever, an apathetic attitude towards what God wants. And the whole idea of repentance to turn from. Uh, I, I repent of slumbering, not doing right. So I turn from slumbering and I look to God to give me the direction to go the right way. It's a change of mind that results in a change of action. That's repentance, true repentance. They're told, uh, I'll, uh, verse uh, number three again, I'll come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know that what hour I'll come upon thee. This church is told that if they're not serious about getting this work done, of changing themselves, the Lord himself will come into their midst and take away things that remain. And then that church will totally be dead, like a thief. This is not referring to the rapture, okay? This is, he's talking about this local church is not doing what it should be. He said, if you don't get this right, I'm going to... I'm, I'm leaving. 
and I'm going to take what's good and we're out of here. And that's unfortunately, there's many churches like that today when they did not heed the call to repentance and, and oh, they have nice buildings. Yes. And, and there might be busyness happening there, uh, but they're just functioning in their own strength. The Lord's left. That's a sad state of affairs. But there's a promise. And verse number four. Thou has a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk uh, with me in white, for they are worthy. As bad as things were there, there's some who were saved and who were seeking to serve the Lord. And the Lord gives them a promise that they will walk with the Lord in white. They've lived out the truth in this world, and they can be confident uh, that they will share in the glory in heaven. Now, white clothing was worn in Rome, in the Roman Empire. During times of festivals, times of celebration, it was a symbol of purity, victory, and festivities, okay? Uh, what a promise to these faithful members of that church. Jesus says, you folks are, you stand faithful. You have not defiled your garments. You're saved. You're serving. One day you'll walk with me in heaven. What a wonderful promise. What a wonderful encouragement that he brings and say, hey, you're with me. He pro- His promise to those who would repent. Uh, as well, in verse number five, he that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And Jesus tells the rest that they will repent and turn to him. They will receive the same precious promise. The same shall be clothed in white raiment. So the idea that the pure victorious, I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. They will not, they will be made secure in the relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, God is not saying he blots out their names. Okay. That's not what he's saying here. Get the right context here. Unfortunately, people who believe in the teachings that you can lose your salvation will often turn to this verse. It's not a verse that serves as a threat of loss. It's a verse that offers a precious promise of absolute security in all those who would believe in Jesus Christ. I'm not going to blot out your name. You come to me, you're secure. This is not, well, if you don't overcome, I'm removing you from the family. No, this is, you come to the family, you're never getting out. You're you're part of the family of God. I love you. And there's lots that can be said about these books. Uh, the book of life uh, that contains all the names uh, of the living. It's referred to in Exodus chapter 32, verse 32. It also appears as a Lamb's book of life that contains all the names of the redeemed. In Revelation 21, 27. And, and in Luke chapter 10, there's rejoicing uh, when someone's name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So we know it exists, uh, and God keeps record, and he makes no mistake. None. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Someday, Jesus will usher his redeemed ones into the presence in the host of heaven and say, these are mine. These are the ones uh, I'm not ashamed of me, and I'm not ashamed of them. They are part of the family. You know, see, the reality is the majority of the folks who went to the church in Sardis, they're not cold and out of God's will. They were lost. They needed salvation. There's a call of repentance here. There's a call to, hey, this is the promise. If you will accept me as Savior, you'll have the white raiment. There. He's telling people, hey, you need to come to me. And Jesus comes to them to give them an opportunity to be saved. 
Vance Havener once commented that ministries often begin with a man who has a vision for what God wants. That vision is captured by others. And then as it goes along, it becomes a movement as such. And as the movement gains followers and more momentum, it becomes a machine. And after a while, people forget about the vision. And what was once a movement becomes nothing more than a monument to a man and to the glorious past. That's sad, but it's so true. It's happened many times. The great physician has his finger on the pulse of this church in Sardis. And he says, if you don't get it right, you're, you're close to dying. You're not acting as a live church. <clears throat> what does this touch reveal about us this morning? I understand that we're not meeting as we like. We're not having the same emotions together. And uh, we're not seeing new people come in our church building. No, I think there's been some new folks join us on Facebook, which is great. Wonderful. Thank you for joining us. Uh, but how are we? Because it's all about the spiritual. How are we? When he puts his finger upon us, what, what does he feel? Does he feel that strong pulse or is it weak or fading? I want to challenge everyone who's watching right now, maybe later. Uh, examine your heart. Examine your heart. Be serious about it. Maybe you're not where you need to be in your walk with the Lord. I'm speaking directly to Christians right now. You've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That decision's made. The best decision in your life has been made. Maybe you've drifted off from the Lord. You're into some things that you know are not pleasing to the Lord. Maybe the last few weeks, uh, with a lot less things to distract you, the Lord's been working on your heart. Maybe he's calling you to repentance. Hey, hey you need to get that right. Uh, maybe you need to get that right with Whoever it is, I, I don't know your situation. Maybe there's something you need to get right with the Lord. Hey, don't put that off. Hey, use this time of the pandemic to make sure that you are in the best focus, best state of mind, on the right track with your Lord and Savior. If you come out with nothing else than that, listen, you are way ahead of the game. You need that. You absolutely have that need to have that focus with Jesus Christ. And don't put it off and say, ah, I'll do it next week. I'll, I'll do that tomorrow. Listen, don't play that game. It doesn't end well for you. You'll lose if you play that game. You need to make sure you're following Jesus. Hey, if you need to get something right, get it right. Move forward. Maybe you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. Uh, that's the greatest decision you'll ever make. And understand that the Lord loves you. He cares for you. Easter, we just celebrated his death, burial, and resurrection. He did all those things because he loved you. Because, hey, we're all sinners. We all miss the mark. And because of our sin, there's a consequence. And that's eternally separated from God. But, but through what Jesus Christ did, because of his love for us, he came in toward us. You know, his, Jesus Christ came and died for us. And if we turn from whatever we're believing and look to him and accept him by faith, trust, He'll accept us into the family. We're saved. We become a Christian, true biblical Christian. I would urge you to make that decision. It's life-changing, this life and the next. Uh, let me urge you as a church family, let's make sure that we're using this time. I know it's unusual. 
I know is unprecedented, and we don't know what tomorrow holds. But today, let's make sure that we're right with the Savior. And when he puts his fingers on the pulse of you as an individual, and then as a church collectively, he says, hey, that is a strong, or that's a stronger pulse than before. Oh, that's gaining momentum for me, and praise the Lord for that. But you have to be honest. It starts with your heart. Where are you with Jesus Christ? Dear Jesus, thank you for another time you've allowed us to be together. Lord, not in the way we'd like to be, but Lord, you have a plan. And Lord, I pray that you would move in the hearts of the folks of Legacy Baptist Church in a great way. Help us to get things right with you. Help us to repent if we need to repent. Help us get things right with others if that needs to be done too. And Lord, I pray that are watching, Lord, that don't know you as Savior, that your Holy Spirit would convict and bring them to salvation, help them understand their need of you. Oh, Lord, help us to be watching all the time, to be serving you and doing what's right. I pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Well, I am certainly thankful that you joined us today. I appreciate that so much. And here to be encouraged, I hope. Maybe you've been convicted. I have no idea. But whatever the case, make sure you get it done with the Lord, whatever it is. Don't put it off. It's so much better to get those things sorted out uh, with the, with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you have any questions, if we can be of any help on your spiritual journey, please don't hesitate to contact us, uh, message us, email us. We want to be a blessing and encouragement in your spiritual journey. Absolutely. Uh, we definitely want to be that.